Um, today's scripture passage uh, passages come from several places in the Bible, so I'm going to go ahead and read these verses um, from First Samuel, from the book of Proverbs, and also the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so please listen as I read. First Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. Proverbs 16.9 In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11, I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise, or wealth to the brilliant, or favor to the learned. The time and chance happen to them all. This is God's word. Today we have the pleasure of welcoming our brother uh, Brian Che um, to the podium to give us our message. Um, He's the head of the um, EML Corps, and he'll be sharing a little bit about um, the the vision that we have for our church, uh, for the English ministry particularly, over the next few years. Brian? More of milk. Thanks, Gerald, and it's great to see all of you here today. So I'm going to be sharing about a couple uh, things here this morning. Uh, one, you know, we've had a lot of conversations over the past year in terms of you know, this goal and this vision that we have as a church in terms of how can we offer our lives, and in particular our vocational lives, to God. And we'll spend some time talking about that. Also, I'll talk with you a little bit just in terms of my own experiences and my own motivations and why uh, this is a particularly interesting topic for me as uh, individually. Uh, so Gerald started off by reading us uh, three different verses, and I'll take some time just to uh, share about you know, what these verses have done for me along my journey in terms of understanding you know, how I can start to think about my vocation uh, relative to uh, how that intersects with my faith. Now, I see a bunch of seniors out here, and I know that a bunch of people are uh, applying to colleges right now. Uh, in fact, I spoke with uh, some of them uh, just last week. Now, when I was in high school and I was a senior uh, and I was applying to college, I sort of had my whole life uh, mapped out in front of me. You know, my plan, you know, like many of you guys here, was, you know, I've got to get into a good school. Why do I have to get into a good school? Well, because I want to get a good job. Well, why do I need to get a good job? Well, because I need to get a good career. I need to make money. I need to be able to support my ambitions, my dreams, you know, family. Uh, I don't want to have to worry about, you know, financial burdens and so on. And so that was the goal that I had as I was taking uh, a look at entering into my college applications. Now, there was one particular school that I really wanted to go to. Uh, my dream school at the time was MIT. Uh, in fact, when I was uh, a junior, uh, rising senior, uh, coming out to the East Coast, I grew up in California. Uh, I went up and down the East Coast like a lot of people from California do to sort of take your college tours. Uh, there was only one school that I visited, and that was MIT. So I really, really wanted to go there. Um, now, when I was applying to uh, college and applying to university, um, you know, one of the questions on the MIT application was, you know, what is your most, most important activity in your life? And I was thinking about that uh, question, and I was saying to myself, you know, if I'm really honest, you know, I should probably write something here about you know, church or my faith because it really dominated a lot of my extracurricular times and a lot of my extracurricular activities. Now, uh, the challenge that I was struggling to internally was, you know, I'm 
applying to sort of the paragon of science and technology. They have Darwin, you know, on a big pillar out in front of their campus. You know, what in the world are they going to think if I apply to this school and I write that I'm a Christian and this is why my faith is so important to me? So I really, really wrestled uh, with that question uh, for quite a long time. And as I was going uh, through that, uh, I happened to be reading through First Samuel uh, during my uh, quiet times uh, during that period. And so I was reading through this verse up here, uh, and it spoke about uh, you know, how you know, those who would seek to honor God, you know, God would honor. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, you know, if I'm not willing to honor God, you know, even as I go through my application process, and even though this is you know, the particular place that I really want to go to, you know, what am I doing? Uh, you know, so I decided I'm going to go ahead and do it. So this was the actual um, uh, application essay that I wrote. Uh, I only uh, put the first paragraph up here. Uh, but as you can see, the question is, you know, what is your most important activity? And so I started talking about, well, I've been a Christian for a long time, uh, and I spend a lot of time at church, and here's all the things I do at church, and here's why it's so important to me. And that was my essay. So I turned in my application, uh, and then you know, a few months went by, and you know, lo and behold, I actually did get into MIT. But you know, that wasn't the interesting part. Uh, the interesting part was that shortly after I got my acceptance letter uh, from MIT, I got this personal letter uh, from uh, an admissions officer at MIT. Uh, and I'll read just the opening uh, sentences to you. And it says, uh, Dear Brian, this is a random letter and by no means official. It happens that I was one of the two admission officers who read your application to MIT. Uh, since I'm a Christian, uh, and then he went on to explain that he was a Christian, he was very involved in the campus Christian life uh, at church and so on, and he invited me to come out and meet him and to get to know him and to help me plug in uh, to the rest of the Christian community at church. And so um, that was really, really amazing to me because, you know, it, to me, I took that as, you know, I really wrestled with, you know, is God going to honor me? Uh, you know, am I putting my you know, dream of attending this particular school in jeopardy as I go through and decide to, uh, you know, talk about my faith? But in the end, you know, it ended up being a Christian who uh, read my application essay. And not only that, you know, who reached out to me personally. And he did a lot for me uh, when I entered the school and helped me really plug into uh, the university setting. So I ended up going uh, to MIT, but uh, no, I was on my way, you know, get into a good school, get a good job, get a good career, so I was well on my way to getting uh, a, a good education. But when I went to MIT, I really, really struggled. Um, you know, I had a hard uh, time, even though I was very successful in high school, I did well in my uh, grades, I did well in my SATs, tons and tons of extracurricular activities and so on. When I started going to MIT, uh, you know, I started seeing grades I'd never seen before uh, on my report card. Every single, every single semester, I ended up with at least one C. Um, I ended up with probably no more than one A uh, on my report card. So it was a big, big transition for me as I made you know, that switch from going to, from you know, high school over to uh, university setting. Now, when you go to uh, MIT uh, you know, or college in general, you know, one of the things that's very common, I ended up studying computer science, uh, but you know, people often will look to get a summer job uh, after they graduate. And MIT in particular had this one program that a lot of people in my field uh, really wanted to get into. Uh, this was a program called uh, 6A. Now, 6A uh, basically involved getting a three-year internship with a company. You would get into a, a five-year joint bachelor's and master's program, uh, and uh, 
you would be sponsored by the company that would do the internship for you. So they would not only help you do your research, they would pay for your education. Uh, so you know, because of that, you know, really, really good program, and everyone sort of wanted to get into that. And so, you know, that was my plan. You know, I was planning, I'm going to get into this school. I got in. I'm going to get my college summer internship. And that's going to sort of set me on the path in terms of how I go forward and how I can start to get on my way to a good job. Now, I mentioned my grades were not very good. So my chances of getting into this program, you know, were also not very good. Now, the way uh, the uh, application process for this program worked was uh, you would go through and you would interview with a series of companies, and then you would go through this uh, matching algorithm. Now, the matching algorithm would be basically you know, a bunch of companies would rank all the people that they had interviewed, you know, one through you know, 20 or whatever. All the students uh, who had interviewed with the companies would rank in order. These are the ones that I'm interested in, and it would feed into a computer, and the computer would match them. Uh, for a lot of you who are in the medical field and so on, it's sort of like the same process that you go through uh, as you're matching uh, for residency or for fellowship programs. So I went in, I started interviewing uh, for this program, and my interviews did not go well. Um, and uh, I went through one particular interview. Uh, this was at uh, with MIT Lincoln Lab. Uh, I went in, she took a look at my transcript, and then she proceeded to open up the company brochure and started to point out all the pretty pictures in it to say, you know, here's a pretty picture of you know, these people, here's a picture of our campus. She had no interest in talking to me. She was trying to burn the 30 minutes so I could get out of there and she could bring the next candidate in. So. I went through that interview process, and you know, as to be expected, I was ranked by uh, just one company. Uh, I was ranked number 12 uh, for three slots, so I had no hope of getting in. And of course, you know, I didn't get in. So it got to be the spring, uh, and I was uh, praying to God, and I had no idea what was going to be happening to me uh, over that uh, summer. But I was praying and saying, you know, God, you got me into this school. I'm really struggling here. I'm not sure what I'm going to be doing. And I'm not sure what's going to be happening this summer, but you know, I just really you know, give this up to you, and I ask that you, know, you would show me you know, how I can continue to honor you uh, through my education and through the rest of what I'm doing here. So I prayed that in the morning, uh, and you know, that very afternoon, I ended up getting an email. Uh, this was the email that I ended up receiving. So that one company uh, that had ranked me 12th uh, for uh, the 6A program, uh, they wrote back to me, uh, and then they gave me a phone call, and they said, uh, there was a glitch in the computer program uh, that was doing the matching algorithm in terms of candidates uh, to people who get into the program. And because of this glitch, um, we only filled two slots uh, in our uh, program. And all the people who were in front of you, you know, they got placed elsewhere, and you were the last person in the program. <laughs> Are you interested in, in this particular position? Uh, and I said, yeah, I'd be interested. And so I ended up uh, you know, uh, getting accepted, you know, certainly not because I was qualified, uh, but because you know, there was a, you know, a flaw uh, or a bug in the computer program. So I ended up getting into this particular 6A program. But you now it's one thing to get into the program. You know, I wasn't really qualified or supposed to be in there. It's another thing to, uh, to sort of maintain how do you remain within that program. Now, there's a minimum GPA that you have to maintain as part of being uh, within the 6A program, and that's because part of being in the 6A program is an admission uh, to the graduate school portion of MIT so that you can get a five years bachelor's and master's degree. And I was uh, you know, fairly below uh, the minimum GPA that you needed to maintain in order to you know, stay within the program and get into the master's portion. 
And so I was really wrestling with that for a long time, and I was spending a lot of time praying to God and saying, you know, God, you, know, you got me into this school, you know, not by anything that I anticipated. You know, you got me into this program, uh, you know, and it was, you know, a miraculous thing that I got in in the first place. But, you know, what's the point of getting in if I'm just going to fail out? You know, you, know, you, got, you got me this far, but if I'm just going to fail out of the program because I can't keep my grades up, you know, then I have no testimony uh, for you, and I have nothing, you know, to talk about in this context. Now, um, I basically went up to, uh, uh, you know, the, towards the end of my uh, fall semester in my junior year, and I had one more semester in which I had to bring my grades up uh, in order to be able to stay within the program. Otherwise, I was going to be flunked out. Now, I went home for Christmas break uh, that uh, winter, and I was talking with one of my uh, friends at home about you know, her experience at her church and so on, and she was asking me, you know, Brian, you know, why don't you observe the Sabbath? Uh, because she was uh, going uh, to this one particular church, and they were going through the study on the Sabbath, and she was telling me about how she was convicted not to do any work or not to study on Sundays and so on. And I said, you know, that's a good question. I've never really thought about this, but you know, I'll pray about it, and I'll see what happens. So I went home uh, and I started praying uh, and I was uh, reading uh, in my quiet times through uh, the book of Exodus at the time. And so, uh, of course, in Exodus you have the Ten Commandments. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is, I remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Uh, but that was just the start of it. If you read through the rest of the book of Exodus, you will find a lot of examples of people uh, who God put to death uh, because they didn't keep the Sabbath. So I was reading through that, and I was praying about, you know, should I keep the Sabbath? Should I not study on Sundays? Uh, and I was reading through that, and I started thinking to myself, well, I'm not sure if I should be, uh, but, you know, maybe I'll take this as a, you know, as a conviction, and I'll try keeping the Sabbath uh, this particular semester just to see what happens. Now, that was a big struggle for me, uh, because, you know, this was the one semester where I had to bring my grades up. I basically had to get straight A's uh, this semester if I had any hope of staying within the program. Now, as I mentioned before, I'd never had a semester without at least one C. I'd never had more than one A uh, in any particular semester at MIT. So I was going to stop studying you know, one uh, day out of the week. Uh, so I was going to have less time to study. Uh, and I was also taking one extra class on that semester because I needed the fifth class uh, to try and you know, uh, attempt to boost my GPA. So I was really nervous as I went into uh, this semester, and you know I was praying a lot to God, uh, and you know again saying, "No, you put me into this program, uh, you know, not by anything that I did, and I certainly don't deserve to be here. Uh, but what is the point of being here if you know if I just fail out and I have nothing good to say about? Well, God got me into this program, but He couldn't keep me in the program." So I went into that semester, uh, and I was praying, and I started going through, uh, and some interesting things uh, started to happen. Uh, so, for example, I had one uh, test uh, that came up, uh, and it was on a Monday morning. And I went into that uh, test uh, on the Sunday before, and I was praying and praying and saying, God, I would really, really like to study for this test today. I know all my you know, fellow students are studying for this test, uh, but I made a commitment to you that I'm going to honor the Sabbath, and I'm not going to study. So I just pray that you would honor my decision uh, you know, on uh, you know, going all the way back to 1 Samuel uh, 2.30. So I went in and I took the test. You know, lo and behold, I got an A on that test. Now, uh, that went on uh, you know, through the rest of the semester. Uh, one of the th interesting things, I was taking um, this uh, graduate probability class at MIT uh, called 1151. Uh, I made the mistake, uh, uh, Dave Shu, uh, I think, is here. Uh, I made the mistake. He was really smart. I was not so smart. I took the class with him because he thought it would be a good idea uh, you know, to try and take that class. 
I remember uh, we went in to take the midterm, uh, and the professor uh, uh, was talking about the class and giving us instructions about halfway through the test, and he said, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, you know, I made a mistake on this question. Please, you know, reinterpret it and, you know, change this number to this number. I remember Dave was looking at, and he just started nodding his head as if everything suddenly clicked. I looked at that, made no difference to me in terms of <laughs> what that question was supposed to do. So we got our midterms back. I ended up getting a 7 out of 100 on that test. So I, I was failing, uh, failing uh, that class pretty badly. So we got into, uh, you know, uh, again, you know, the week of finals going into that class. Our final was on a Monday morning. And again, you know, I was praying to God and I was saying, you know, God, I'm failing this course. You know, I've got to be able to get into this program. Uh, I have no idea what's going to happen. I would really, really like to study on this Sunday uh, because the final is tomorrow and I really need it because, you know, right now I'm getting an F in this course. Uh, but I just lift things up into your hands and I pray that you would honor me, you know, for continuing to you know, honor you on the Sabbath. And I pray that, uh, you know, as I t take a look forward, that you would preserve my testimony for you so that, you know, you got me into this program. You know, I can trust that, you know, you can, you know, sustain me through it. So I went into, uh, you know, class that Monday morning, uh, you know, to take the final exam. And uh, the professor you know, looks at all of us as we're getting ready to take the final exam. Uh, and then he says, no, I've got an uh, announcement for all of you here. Uh, and so we looked up and he said, I've decided to cancel the final exam uh, for this year. Instead of having the final exam, uh, what I've decided to do is to take all your homework assignments and I'm going to turn that into your final exam grade. And I was studying with Dave Shu, uh, you know, this whole semester. He was really smart. I wasn't. I actually did really well in my homework because of that. So I ended up you know, getting an A uh, on, on that. And in fact, so that's my report card. Uh, so fall semester, I got a B, a C, a B, a B. Mentioned always at least one C. No A's that particular term. I ended up with straight A's uh, the next semester. Never seen more than one A on my report card before. And you know, I was studying a lot less, you know, taking a lot, uh, lot more classes. Uh, and so, you know, again, you know, I started going through that, uh, and, you know, I was really, really amazed because, you know, this was way beyond, you know, what I expected. And so God took me, you know, all the way through uh, my college. So after I finished college, uh, you know, I went and I got a job. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I was on my way. You know, I'd gotten to a good school. I made it through school. Uh, I'd actually, you know, set myself up because I had this internship program that I could go ahead uh, and find a job after work. And that's where I started uh, learning from this particular passage in Ecclesiastes, which talks about, you know, the, uh, the race is not to the swift, nor food to the wise, uh, nor the battle to the strong, uh, but time and chance overtake them all. And that was really, you know, my experience. So I went and I worked at a startup company coming out of MIT. It's sort of the hot thing to do these days again. It was certainly the hot thing to do when I graduated, which was in the midst of the dot-com boom. And I ended up getting a job at probably one of the hardest MIT startups around. It was a company called Ars Digita. This was our company, Ferrari. So uh, just to sort of give you guys an idea of, you know, how ridiculous, uh, you know, those days were, you know, people are throwing money left and right at engineers, uh, you know, people had perks up and down, uh, so we had all sorts of free food, there's a company Ferrari, there's a company Honda S2000, uh, you know, people were, you know, uh, really, really enjoying a lot of perks, and this company uh, was one of the, you know, you know, hot companies that were sort of projected to, you know, do really well. So I ended up getting a job there, so I thought, you know, I've made it, right? You know, I ended up getting my uh, you know, degree at a good school. I got my internship. Now I finally got my good job. I'm well on my way to a good career. 
uh, except uh, things didn't work out that way, no, even over here. So I really struggled uh, when I went to this uh, particular job. Uh, it was a startup company. I had a hard time making that transition from an academic environment to you know, sort of the uh, you know, hecticness and the unpredictability and the unreliability of what it means to be at a startup. Uh, so I ended up getting put on a performance plan uh, at work. Now, if those of you who aren't working or who aren't familiar with the performance plan, it's basically HR's way of saying, you better start improving your work, otherwise you're going to get fired and you're on formal notice. So I just put on this performance plan. Uh, and as part of the performance plan, you know, they gave me you know, all the grunt work uh, at the company uh, that nobody else wanted to do. Uh, so you know, I took over every, you know, I was a software engineer, I was a developer. They gave me you know, all the low end stuff uh, in addition to my coding. So I had to maintain the website, I had to maintain the HR systems, I had to onboard new employees uh, into the company. You know, I had to you know, help you know, with the email uh, list and all, you know, all the grunt work that you know, people you know, who are uh, you know, engineers really aren't supposed to be doing you know, some of the testing of the uh, systems and so on. And so I ended up taking up uh, all that, and so I was looking, uh, you know, in terms of where, you know, I was, you know, I was at the very bottom uh, of the company. Uh, we went, uh, and, you know, the dot-com uh, bust uh, started to come upon us, and the company started not doing well. Uh, we started laying people off, and we knew that we were either going to go broke or we were going to get acquired uh, by another company. Uh, so I went into work uh, one day, and there was a big announcement. You know, everybody, please come in uh, to this one particular building uh, because we've been acquired. Uh, and so uh, you're going to get sent into one of two rooms. You know, if you go into the room on the left, uh, you're going to get your severance packages, and you know, good luck. If you go into the room on the right, you know, you'll get your offer letters at the new company. Uh, and so they lined us up and started uh, veering us. You no, know, are you going to go in the room on the left? Or are you going to go in the room on the right? So I got in line. I fully expected to be in the room on the left, right, because you know I was the guy in the performance plan at the bottom of the company. Um, but I ended up getting to the room on the right, uh, and you know, out of about 200 something people at the company, they kept 10 of us. And the reason that they kept me was because I was the only one who knew the way a lot of this stuff worked, because I was doing all the grunt work nobody else wanted to do. So they kept nine superstars, and they kept me at the company. And they brought me into the uh, into the company, and they let you know all the hundreds of other people go. So I ended up at this company. Uh, this company was a software company called Red Hat. Uh, uh, it's grown quite a, a bit since I joined them, but a lot of what uh, you know they did uh, was you know they sell software to enterprise uh, companies. So uh, unless you're in the technology industry, you probably haven't heard of them before. But you know, I went into this company. It was very early days for the company, and I started to you know, learn and to grow my career and so on at that path. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of things that are uh, sort of too long to talk about, but I want to take you up sort of to present day and some more recent experiences because they're sort of emblematic of all the things that I learned along the way while I was at Red Hat. Now. Um, Last year at uh, Red Hat, I took over as general manager of one of the five business units. Uh, no, not something I was expecting. Uh, you know, if you want to talk to me afterwards, it's a pretty interesting story of how we got there. But Red Hat is organized into five business units or five divisions, uh, and I ended up uh, being responsible for one of the five and you know, the most uh, important and strategic business unit uh, within the company. It's the one where we were looking to drive all the future growth of the company. Now, as I took over, uh, you know, the business unit uh, last year, you know, this was a you know, pretty monumental uh, set for my career. I was really excited about it, uh, and so on. Uh, but, you know, and we had just come out with uh, the launch of our flagship product uh, in this particular space uh, a couple months ago. 
Now, I was talking uh, with my boss and with some other uh, people at the company, the CTO and so on, and we were realizing that there was a big uh, shift happening in the industry that Red Hat, you know, my company, was not a part of. And we realized we were going to have to make a really hard, fast pivot uh, at the company in order to start to get onto this new technology trend. Now, the only people uh, in the company who would be able to make that transition fast enough were the people who just you know, came onto my team uh, you know, in the business that I just recently took over. Uh, and so I was talking with them through this, uh, and I came to agree with uh, these guys that, yeah, we've got to get on board uh, with this new technology direction. The only way that it's going to work is I'm going to have to gut my own team, transfer them over to this newly formed organization, and this is how we're going to you know, internally build up, because there's no way we can hire fast enough in order to get into this new technology trend. And so, you now I was taking a look at my own situation, and I was saying, you know, I just took over, you know, as uh, general manager of this business unit, but I am really, really in a bad place because I just gutted my team, transferred them over. I have no one left to work on my flagship product line. I have no idea uh, what's going to uh, happen. Now, um, earlier that summer, uh, you know, I had happened to meet with this uh, one startup company, and so I was sort of interested in what they were doing, so I had invited them over to Red Hat uh, to learn more about what they were doing uh, and so that they could you know, present some more details uh, to me. And so it happened that week that, uh, from a scheduling perspective, that was the week that they came, and we had a you know, series of uh, in-depth meetings over the course of the day. Uh, and I, I started to realize, you know, even though I had to gut my product uh, in order to staff up this new initiative, uh, this startup company is actually further ahead uh, on the stuff that I was working on than my own particular product. And if we could go ahead and acquire this company you know, and bring them in, you know, that would really set us up well uh, and put us in a good position. Now, um, no. Uh, again, you know, just by you know, happenstance and timing, you know, I went uh, on a business trip to Japan uh, later that week. Uh, our CEO happened to be staying at the same hotel as me. I bumped into him uh, at the hotel lounge, and so I started talking with him and saying, hey, there's this company here. I'm interested in you know, acquiring them. Uh, you know, what do you think about that? And over the course of the week, uh, he became convinced, and you know, he agreed, let's go ahead and buy this company. So I went back the following week. I contacted the company and I said, you know, let's you know, begin negotiations uh, to see you know, about bringing you in. And, uh, you know, I was talking with the CEO and, you know, things went well and, you know, we started to progress and we ended up uh, down that path. Now, uh, this is, uh, you know, the webcast and the public announcement uh, that we did uh, last December uh, just to announce, you know, the bringing in of the company. Uh, so, you know, that worked out pretty smoothly, but the interesting thing to me was that, you know, when I was talking with the CEO, you know, towards the very end stages of this acquisition, one of the things that he said to me was, you know, from a timing perspective, if you hadn't come to me the very day that you came to me, it would have been too late and this acquisition would have never happened because the very next day we had already filled our paperwork to go public and we were about to file them. And so because, you know, you came to me the day before, we put that public filing on hold and we entered into negotiations with you. And so I took a look, you know, just at, you know, at that, you know, from a situation standpoint, right? You know, the battle is not always to the strong, the race is not to the swift, nor food to the wise, but time and chance, uh, you know, overtake them all. So I'm the guy at the receiving end of that. You know, I'm not the strong, I'm not the wise, I'm, uh, but, you know, for some reason, you know, the timing, you know, my resources were taken away, the startup drops in my lap. You now, I happened to meet with the CEO, you know, I happened to meet with this company on the last day before they were supposed to go public. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't anything that I did, uh, but, you know, things uh, worked out and they sort of set themselves up. 
So that's been sort of, you know, you know my journey in terms of, you know, what I've been learning around uh, my vocation and my use of vocation, you know, over the last number of years, starting with college all the way up to present day. And it really comes back to, you know, these three verses. You know, how do, uh, I spoke about, you know, I was very interested in, I'm going to go to a good school so I can get a good job, so I can have a good career, so I can set myself up for life. You know, the first thing I learned was, you know, don't focus on that. Focus on how do you give yourself up to God? How do you honor Him in what you do and trust God to take care of the rest? Next thing I learned, you know, I can have the grandest plans in the world in terms of how my career trajectory is going to go out, but that's not the way that things often turn out. And God is the one who orchestrates and directs how things end up, especially if you trust them into your, His hands. And, you know, sometimes, you know, as good as you think you are, as well as you think you've set yourself up for life, you know, there's a lot of things that can happen. Uh, you know, I was on the positive side of that. You know, I was not the strong or the wise or the swift, but, you know, things ended up going my way. So that's all good, and that's all interesting. Uh, but, you know, for me, you know, this is not enough. Because, you know, when I take a look uh, at this, you know, I've been just on this sort of learning path in terms of, well, yeah, I've got to trust God with my vocation. I know it's more than what I'm doing, but what in the world am I going to do uh, with it? How do I offer that up to God so that it's not just, you know, I have some interesting stories and some interesting life experiences, but how do I turn this into something that's useful for God, and how do I give all that he's given to me back into him, and how do I offer my entire life, including my vocational life, back to God, and what am I going to do with that? And so that's really what we as a church have been discussing, you know, over the past few year, uh, you know, months and year and so on. You know, we've had a number of sermons, uh, we've had a retreat uh, last month, all taking a look at this high-level vision that we have that we should offer our entire lives, including our vocational lives, to God. And we've been talking about four different ways in which we might be able to do that. Uh, you know, first of all, we can enter vocational ministry. Uh, we think, can think about relocating uh, our jobs into a place that becomes more useful for him. We think we can think about staying within our existing jobs uh, and learning to use that more for him. Uh, or we can think about uh, you know going into vocational ministry, you know, being a missionary or a pastor or some other worker. Now, this is all very high level, right? You know, we've had a lot of Bible studies and a lot of talks, but I know that one of the things that a lot of us have been thinking is, you know, this is very nice at a theoretical level, but what does it mean for me? How is this actually going to manifest itself? And that's a question I have for my own life as well. And so what I want to do now is start to share with you a little bit in terms of what are we going to be doing as a church, you know, over the next few years, uh, specifically in order to help us concretely start to live out uh, our lives and are using our vocations in this area. Now, I'm going to focus on this third bullet point here because, you know, this is where a lot of us are. You know, some of us will certainly do a lot of these things, uh, other categories, and some of us are already on their way. But for the majority of us, you know, sitting here in the congregation, we're probably trying to figure out how do I take my existing vocation and how do I offer that to God? And I think there's um, you know, f- at least five ways that we see in the Bible in terms of illustrations of how God was able to take what people uh, presented to him from their vocations and use it in a practical way for God. First way, and I'm just going to go through these very quickly, uh, but we'll spend some more time uh, through the rest of the year taking a look at these. But you know, at the very beginning, and we spoke about this, uh, Chuck spoke about this you know, in one of his early sermons, you know, God created a work for a purpose. Uh, it was good, and he blessed it, and so we can take a look at how do we fulfill God's, uh, fulfill God's intended purpose for work. 
We can redeem our vocation to reflect God's values. If you take a look through the Bible, God actually gives a surprising number of rules and regulations in terms of how are you supposed to conduct yourself within your business setting, within your work setting. And so God cares about these things, and he cares about what is the godly way in which you conduct your industry, in which you conduct your vocation. And that's a way that you can take a look at it as well. If you guys recall, we had uh, Dick Yu uh, come and share with us a little while back in terms of some of the work he was doing at MIT with OpenCourseWare. And really taking education and bringing that to the masses and particularly to the poor. We can go ahead and we can honor God. Uh, so we have an example uh, in the Old Testament where people were constructing the tabernacle. And uh, if you take a look, you know, God gifted quite a lot of different workers, you know, from the master craftsmen all the way into you know, the individual people you know, at the very bottom of the totem pole. And they all had a specific role in terms of what the work they were supposed to do was going to do to come together to accomplish what God wanted to do so that he could be honored. We can take our vocations and we can equip them uh, for some other kinds of work. Uh, so maybe what you're doing is not the thing in it of itself, but it's an end to, ends to a mean, means to an end, sorry, in terms of what is the ultimate thing that you're going to accomplish. And so, uh, just a simple example here, you know, David was a shepherd when he grew up. His goal and his life mission wasn't to be a shepherd, but he couldn't have been a king and he couldn't have done the things that he had accomplished if he hadn't had the experience and the training of being a shepherd in the first place. Uh, and then finally, uh, one more example in terms of, you know, an example in the Bible, we can accomplish some higher purposes for God. So two quick examples here, Esther and Joseph. Uh, God placed them specifically in their positions, uh, you know, very high positions from a political standpoint, but so that he could rescue his people and so that he could rescue people, you know, from slaughter in the case of Esther, so he could rescue them from famine uh, in the case of Joseph. And so we have quite a lot of different examples in the Bible in terms of how can you start to use your vocation, and uh, when you offer it to God, how can you start to leverage that? So what are we going to be doing uh, over the next few years in terms of taking those kinds of things and turning them even more concrete uh, together as a congregation and as a church? Uh, so one of the things you know, at work that we often talk about as we do planning, as we go through this crawl, walk, run, uh, you know, you've got to you know, start with small steps before you finally get to your end goal. And we're going to be taking a similar approach here over the next few years you know, and re really looking with a five-year plan in terms of how are we ultimately going to help all of us start to offer our vocational lives to God. So we're in year one right now, and there's going to be a few concrete activities that we're going to be starting this year. First, in January, you're going to see some new things that are going to happen. The first is we're going to start to kick off these new vocational groups. Uh, and they're going to be concentrated in a lot of the vocations that are very typical uh, within this church. Uh, so you guys will recall that we sent out a survey uh, from a demographic standpoint about a month ago. Uh, no surprise, you know, the most common uh, industries that we have here in this church are IT, healthcare, and education. So we'll start with those three areas and we'll, we'll add some others. But we'll, we'll focus on getting a group of people together to talk and brainstorm in terms of what are the things that we can do collectively within a Christian context and within all the different things that we see with, uh, in our jobs that we might be able to help each other uh, to create some initiatives that we can band together and support from a church standpoint. 
So we'll kick those off in January with a Sunday school time in January. And then when we go into the summer, we're actually going to reprogram our small groups during the summer. So typically, you know, we have our carriage groups, our compass groups, our ICF groups. We're going to take a summer and we're going to concentrate those into vocational groups. And we're going to be meeting with people you might not have met with before, but all with this goal of what are things that we can do together and that we can brainstorm about how our church can work together in these particular industries to offer our vocational lives to God. We're going to be doing different things. We have people with different talents, but this is something that we can do to come together. We're also going to kick off some new uh, uh, initiatives to help us, you know, disciple through these, uh, to uh, deal with spiritual formation and education so that we can prepare ourselves, not just from a vocational standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. And then as we go forward, once we've had those uh, kickoff groups to figure out what are the initiatives that we're going to focus on, then we move into the execution phase. Okay, this is what we're going to do. How do we motivate people to line up across those initiatives? What are some new ministries that we may need to start here as a church? And we'll start to work together across those. And that will ultimately you know, take us hopefully towards the end of you know, our year five in terms of what we can do together. Now, this is going to take us a while to get there. Uh, I'm pretty excited. A lot of the other people in EML Core are pretty excited in terms of seeing how this is going to happen. You know, for me, this is personally motivating you know, for a lot of the reasons that we spoke about and I shared about earlier. Uh, my hope and my prayer is that you know, the rest of you, as you start to consider you know, across those five different ways we might consider to use our vocations, and as we start to get together in these vocational groups, you know, what are some things that we can do together as a collective body here that start to become useful and where we can start to work together to offer you know, all of our lives, including what we spend you know, nine to five uh, doing you know, Monday through Fridays. Uh, would you please pray with me? Lord, we just thank you uh, for today and just for this chance uh, to come before you. Uh, we do lift up our vocations and our lives. We thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've blessed us with. Uh, we ask that you would give us guidance so that as we seek to offer our lives and in particular our vocations uh, to you, you would bless us, you would help us to honor you, you would help us to understand what we can do, and ultimately uh, that your will will be accomplished. I pray this on Christ's name. Amen.